Hi, I'm Kim Chung, and you're listening to Thirst Mag Over a Drink podcast. In this episode, I'm talking to two representatives from Kita Food Festival to discuss Malaysia's food scene and the relationship between chefs and farmers. Also, the importance of a good beverage program for restaurants. Malaysia prides itself for the variety of food offerings by the nation's many races, sharing the love for each other's kitchen menus. It is almost an open secret that Malaysia has better street food than Singapore. But do we actually serve better food when restaurants in Singapore are winning awards and Malaysia's aren't? The Kita Food Festival, which is a series of masterclasses, food and drink events aimed to shine a spotlight on Malaysia's food scene and to celebrate the nation's culinary culture and gourmet heritage. Due to COVID-19, the first festival in 2021 highlights only Malaysian chefs, but will open up to international participations in subsequent years. Today, I'm talking to two guests, Lisa Tyler and Wong Yin Hao. Lisa is one of the directors for Kita Food Festival, who is currently based out in Singapore. She just arrived in Singapore from Australia. She has been a food and travel journalist since 1998 and sat on the board of the world's 50 best restaurants for 10 years and curated multiple food events in the past. Our other guest Wong Yin Hao sits on the advisory board for the beverage program for Kita Food Festival. He is the founding secretary of the Sommeliers Association of Malaysia and the vice president of the International Wine and Food Society Kuala Lumpur branch. Thank you both for coming on to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Lisa, you have seen and documented the world of food for over two decades. Where do you see the Malaysian food scene stand currently in the region? I think it's changed a lot in the last 10 years and seeing these changes gave us the impetus to start Kita. When I started living in Malaysia, which was in 2010, there wasn't a very developed culinary culture. I don't think it's a secret that street food is better in Malaysia than what it is in Singapore. I think it's just a fact. But there wasn't much of of a restaurant industry you had like restaurants in Kuala Lumpur and to a little bit of extent in, in Penang but it, they weren't very developed they weren't cutting edge nobody was trying anything new now over the past five years it's changed tremendously and you get a lot of these young new chefs which are coming to the fore and they're doing exciting things with a endemic Malaysian ingredients but b using a lot of product which is grown in Malaysia and there's a lot of young growers, young producers, which are bringing to the market some really beautiful produce made in Malaysia. I think the two together has really kind of created a trend and it, it's quite exciting. It's not as developed as Singapore. It doesn't have the spending power and that goes hand in hand with developing a culinary culture, but it's certainly come a long way and it's really cool. Is that the reason how Kita Food Festival was founded? Yes. So we saw these trends and obviously Darren, Tio and I have been friends for many years. Um, we saw these trends kind of emerging five years ago. Darren was an up and coming chef and doing some exciting stuff. But then you had this new, very young crowd coming up and doing heaps of stuff as well. That kind of showed that the industry is changing a lot and people need to perhaps be a little bit nudged 
Kita is designed to bring everybody together, to bring them as a community. We're not rating restaurants, whether this is really good and this is not really good, but we're just trying to bring the community together. And when you bring people together, other things happen, you know, like the spirit starts to evolve and then people start to experiment more and they start to share ideas and skills and the industry itself developing and evolving. That's our key for Kita. We brought up the street food of Malaysia. And in contrast, can we say this is a fine dining style for Kita Food Festival? To be terribly honest, the inception of Kita has been around for a couple of years, but it wasn't until mid-October that we actually started working on this year's festival. And that was because we were invited to apply for a grant, but it needed to happen in December. So we selected the lowest hanging fruit. And a lot of that is fine dining restaurants because they're our friends. So while street food per se hasn't become become a big part of the festival although you could argue that the barbecue is a kind of street food essence the next keto will definitely have more elements of street food could you guide me through the path of how keto festival can penetrate or spread throughout the food scene in malaysia to bring up the whole culinary culture overall in malaysia whatever category they stand i think that the way that keto is set up this year there's multiple entry points in terms of cost for tickets so we have fine dining restaurants that we can go and it's a bit of a splurge and then we have other events which are not so expensive a lot of people can attend those events when it starts what we're trying to do I guess inspire another generation so hopefully it's the sous chefs and it's the line cooks and the commie chefs who will be coming to an event or they'll be participating in an event because their restaurant's participating and that in effect will inspire them They'll get to work with different products that they've never seen before or never been able to experience before. Endemic products or products that are grown or produced in Malaysia. They'll get to speak with a lot of other chefs that they've perhaps not come across before. Get some ideas, inspiration and kind of trying to nurture that spirit. From what we've seen so far, it's really working become a wonderful sense of community. You have pulled together chefs, producers such as the farmers. I know that you co-own Weeds and More and it sounded like a lot more young people are getting involved in farming locally in Malaysia. How are you bridging the gap between the farmers and restaurants? What do you do to put them together? When there's no COVID around, chefs spend a lot of time at the farms. The idea of weeds and more is that when I first started working in Singapore 10 years ago, I realized that there was a big disconnect between chefs and farmers. Like everything came in on a jet plane into Singapore. Chefs had no actual connection to any farmers or people who were producing the food that they were cooking with. That's why we initiated weeds and more to try and bridge that gap. So when there's no COVID, we have a lot of chefs coming up to the farm and we spend a lot of time with the farmers and with the chefs and try and bridge an understanding of why particular varieties will drop off. Farming is nature and she will do what she wants, not necessarily what you want. <laughs> so this time of the year, we always struggle with edible flowers because there's just no sun. When you're able to bridge that gap and bring people together and one person is able to see the other person's point of view, 
it makes chefs better and it makes farmers better. It's just about connection. Yin Hao, you have run restaurants like Vinci Salas and Proof Pizza and Wine. Obviously, these relate very much to your business. So from your point of view, how important it is for chefs to be working with farmers locally in terms of cost and accessibility of ingredients? Oh, I think it's very important with a view to this current situation in Malaysia with uh, food prices, raw food prices and vegetable prices especially have really skyrocketed. So from a financial viewpoint, really focus the attention of a lot of fellow restauranters on the importance of cultivating and having a much larger base of local suppliers. That's, I think, often economics focuses the mind very much so. Naturally, Malaysia has a you know, wonderful range of ingredients, which has always been underexplored. I think only the last two or three years with a few restaurants championing local ingredients, we're seeing a renaissance of sorts with local ingredients. So very important, I would say, look of all principles. This kind of collaboration is very exciting, but for the benefit of our listeners and myself, Lisa, could you tell us a few ingredients that are not grown before in Malaysia, but now they are, which makes it so accessible to the restaurants here? We grow some odd stuff. <laughs> we grow things like kohlrabi, which is a German vegetable that you would never find in Malaysia. Things like watermelon radishes, heirloom carrots. We grow all sorts of different things. We grow specifically the things that they fly in from Europe. So our goal is to support local communities rather than French and Dutch communities. <laughs> they need supporting too, but it's better to look closer to home and to cut down the carbon mine. At the moment, because of the monsoon and because there's been a lot of landslides and stuff, the price of vegetables has skyrocketed. But for our company, we haven't changed our prices because we have a set prices throughout the year. It's also that connection, which Yin Hao was talking about, is really important between the chef developing a relationship with the farmer because all the chef's role is to cook food for people. And so that understanding of where things come from and how it grows is also very vital to the end product. And for many levels, even for street food vendors, you know, like knowing where they get their kailan or something from is, is also very important. Unfortunately, in the way that the food industry works, most people often don't. Most cooks often have no connection and they're also at the whim of market prices, which at the moment in Malaysia, yeah, are going a little bit crazy. We are a little bit underappreciated whatever resources we have right now in Malaysia. With our climate, our landscapes, we could actually do a lot more. And I'm really excited that people are coming together, especially the awareness is within the community of chefs and farmers and by the younger generations. I know that now we can solve the problem of not having to import certain ingredients, but that is not the same case for wines, for example, and spirits. So in how you know a lot more on the beverage side of things, I want to know how important is the beverage program to a restaurant? I mean, you open two restaurants that very much focus on pairing of the food and wine. For you to highlight that, it must be some reason behind it. Can you share that with us? Please? Well, I mean, my base was always with wine. So I'll start from that angle. I think wine has always been a beverage that has naturally been paired with food. I think in Malaysia, you really have seen this explosion in the last eight, 10 years. When I started 15 years ago, the wine industry, the wine bar, wine restaurant business was still very much in its infancy. I'm quite encouraged that there's been quite a lot of interest in the French off the beaten track masterclass that I'm conducting. 10 years ago, very few people would have signed up if it was just Bordeaux and Burgundy. I think Twak is another very interesting area which Malaysia should really look into as well. I mean, it's very underexplored. I think there's some new players coming on board, especially in uh, Sarawak, but hopefully for the next year's program. 
it looks like there's a lot of symbiosis relationship between the ingredients that is used in the restaurants, like a French restaurant would have been serving food, particularly to French culture. And obviously people would associate that with French wine. But is that different now, 10 years later today, that wines are not necessarily having to be paired with a food of its origin? For example, maybe some Malaysian food to be paired with wines. Can you shed some light and experience of what you have tried before? Personally, what I think works really well is one of my favorite local dishes, which is Hainanese chicken rice. Such a traditional Southeast Asian, Malaysian, Singaporean. We won't go into which version is better. It's not the point today. But Sauvignon Blanc works fantastically well with, with Hainanese chicken rice, for example. And that's something I've been championing. Recently, I've been having sake with sake as well. And that's also turning out to be a really good pairing, especially with dry sake. Yes, so all these work really well. You'll be surprised at the combination and the synergies between these local dishes and imported beverages. Is there such a program currently available in Kidafut Festival this year, pairing Malaysian food with wines? No, but I'm going to put it on my list right now. So <laughs> that sounded really good. <laughs> yes, we should look into this next year. Now I want to get into this very critical question. Why Malaysia hasn't been on the world map of gastronomy? What have we not done right? What do we need to do next? It often comes down to publicity, to be honest. It's about spending budgets from governments and how they spend it, where they spend it. In the case of Malaysia, it needs to be given a bit of a facelift. The way that Malaysian food is presented to the world to make it a little bit more trendy. Here in Singapore, the government spent a lot of money and many, many years taking Singapore food to the world. When I worked with the 50 best restaurants, that was they worked with us and they did it very aggressively and they did it very, very well. Well, so I think marketing is a big part, which is a little bit missing and particularly marketing to certain demographics. You're talking about like putting Malaysian cuisine on the world map, given the credentials of a lot of these young chefs coming up, these kind of avant-garde, a little bit edgy, but very, you know, like fine dining, all these chefs looking at using endemic ingredients or, or looking at the cultural heritage of their families is very strong. And I think that will take Malaysia to a different place and not necessarily a mass consumer place, but it will certainly start to put Malaysia on the map in terms of people looking for those very sense of Malaysia and really experiencing Malaysian cuisine but in a completely different situation. I think it will happen. Let's hope so. I mean, Yin Hao, you run two restaurants and locally they just fly because everyone would just say, oh, I want to go to Vintry because I want to have a good wine dinner or I just want to go for a casual get together with my friends just have pizza and wine and you have really good selection of them. How do you think both your restaurants can reach out globally when people come to KL, they would go to Vintry or prove pizza and wine? What do you think needs to be done in order for you to get your name out there? We've been quite lucky with Proof, for example. We were featured about two years ago, just before lockdown. We were rated in the top 50 pizza restaurants in Asia. I think we were top 10. That was the number five or six, so that was quite a good accolade. So through the years in Proof, for example, we've been lucky through the word of mouth that we've got tourists coming in, especially a lot from Singapore and a little bit from Hong Kong as well. So in that sense, it was sort of organic 
we are growing. In terms of reaching out more, marketing dollars is always useful in that aspect. But I'm a strong believer in just organic word of mouth through the right people, the mavens, the real food lovers. Vintry has always also attracted some foreign tourists simply because of our match of local food. We've always been famous for Hokkien Mee and Chinese-style roast pork, and those are very versatile pairing dishes. So yeah, organic through the years, but obviously it's a whole new world once COVID eventually subsides and we have to relook how to extend our reach again. <laughs> we hope, we hope. Yeah. I want to come to the beverage education part of things. A lot of people don't talk that much about beverage when they go out dining. They talk about, oh, this place has the best food, but not best beverage. So what are you doing or how have you been exposing the beverage side of things to your customers, for example? Before COVID, obviously, well, everything is always pre-COVID. I used to do a lot more dinners and masterclasses with wines. True Wintry, it's always some thematic tasting. I provide a canvas, a bit of a focus on, say, for example, an exploration of Italian wines from a particular producer from, say, Sicily. And along the way, whilst you stick to certain traditional Italian dishes, I always like to tweak it a little bit and throw in a few surprises in terms of the food. So that provides a fresh angle for people and it sort of opens the door a little bit to explore pairing food with imported beverages. Is that the same format you are bringing into Kita Food Festival? I see that there are some masterclasses going on. Yes, but I think because of the short time frame, hopefully we'll bring in more interesting program next year. There's a natural wine program this year by Ming Hao, and he's recognized locally as one of the early proponents of natural wines. So very happy to see how that works out. I'll probably be attending as well myself. I also see there are cocktails and food combination, the Nadori and Jungle Bird combination. Is that a collaboration initiated by the outlets themselves or did you pitch them to put them together? We pitched them to put them together. That was Darren Tio, is his idea. Lisa, can you share with us some of the programs that are highlights, that is a breakthrough, that's something that has never been done before and something exciting that we look forward to? The, the barbecue will be interesting because there's 11 chefs all up. Each of them, they're paired up into teams and they each have a station and they're each cooking. I think that will be very good. In terms of the masterclasses, I think these are the more exciting in terms of that knowledge sharing. The Orang Asli people coming along to cook and show how they cook their native dishes um, and they're doing five different dishes that day. I think this for me is very exciting because really looking at very traditional ways of cooking and traditional cuisines is one part of Malaysia which is totally unexplored or perhaps not explored enough. Also Sabah, Sarawak, all of these areas. Getting the Orang Asli to come and show people how they cook traditionally, you know, using very organic materials. I think that's really exciting. There we have a zero proof class making alcohol-free cocktails. I think that's really exciting as well. There's a lot of young crowd these days who kind of shunning alcohols so how do you make the beverages like super super tasty but without the alcohol content there's all sorts of stuff it's a really good lineup we started last night in Penang both of those events were sold out and there's one tonight in Penang at Gun. yeah from Wednesday onwards good times roll yeah <laughs> 
Now I have my last question for the both of you. Let's start with you first, Yin Hao. Do you have a message from Kita Food Festival for the listeners? Well, considering the strange times we live in, I think this is a fantastic opportunity to focus on what's local and available and fantastic local talents we have. And everyone is here in Malaysia. I know at this little movement in the last two years, there's this wonderful camaraderie between all the restaurants and chefs and operators within Malaysia. So I think it's a great time just to give local a, a great chance and explore. And Lisa? I think in-house said it perfectly. Yeah, it's a great time to explore. Come along. Enjoy what is available this week now that we don't have lockdowns. <laughs> enjoy, learn, experience, share, be part of it. Thank you, both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. They were Lisa Tyler and Wong In-Hao representing Kita Food Festival. Kita Food Festival runs between 3rd and 12th of December 2021. To find out more about their lineups, follow them on Instagram or visit their website, kitafoodfestival.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast. My name is Kim Chung and this is Thirst Mag Over a Drink. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for our latest episodes. You can find all the links in the show notes. I would really appreciate if you can leave us a 5-star rating and a review wherever you get your podcast and recommend it to your friends. See you next time. Special thanks to Brian Larson for producing the music for this podcast.